Yo, 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 it's Josh. What's good, it's your boy Darius. What's happening, it's Matt. You are now tuned in to the Dominate the Decade podcast. Let's go. It's Josh. Welcome to the Dominate the Decade podcast. Uh, I am one of the three co-hosts of the show. Um, and this is kind of a space for us to get out any of the interesting topics that we find um, throughout the community, like on social media or anything like that. And just an outlet for us to be true, authentic Black men and unique Black men at that. Um, I am a recent graduate of the South Carolina with a degree in mass communications. Um, and I'm looking to get into the advertising industry, anything with uh, communications. What's good, y'all? I am Adarius Simpkins, uh, co-host number two. I'm also a recent grad from the University of South Carolina with a degree in political science, a uh, future civil rights lawyer, and manifesting that already. I'm just excited to, you know, chop it up with my bros. Like Josh said, just talking about whatever we find in the community and on social media, and just in the world at large, it's important to Black men specifically, but the world generally. But what's happening? I'm Matthew, contestant, not contestant, uh, co-host number three. <laughs> uh, I am currently pursuing a degree in mass communications. I graduate in December from the University of South Carolina. Generally, I'm more into like athletics and sports and stuff like that. But I, I like to venture into and just into venture into my inner blackness and just kind of learn more about what's going on from these guys. And yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. And I feel like that is what draws all three of us together. We are all unique black men. And of course, um, we share some of the same interests, but we all have our own things that we do and interest us. Me and Matt, of course, we're in the same major or we had the same major, but we want to do different things with it. Matt, you, you're like with sports and commentary and stuff. And I was with sports, but uh, I'm more so on the back end side of media where it's like strategy and planning and stuff like that. So um, we all have a deep thirst for knowledge and that's what I feel like makes us go. Most definitely. Um, and I think another thing that ties us all together is the fact that we're all sort of at the same stage of life where we're just, you know, really trying to have ourselves and our futures and our destinies like figured out. And so uh, we're just all going along that journey together. And so, yeah. Yeah. And it's dope for us to have kind of like this outlet because we all see life a little bit differently and just to kind of be able to come together and learn from one another. So that's pretty cool. Sir. So a lot of interesting things going on today. Uh, the last day of May. Wait, is it the last day of May or no? It's the 30th. And the year is really going by kind of quickly. Flying. But uh, had the uh, protest at the state fairgrounds. A lot of interesting things going on there. Uh, met up with my boy, Darius. Uh, very, very interesting day today. It was, so it was good um, for the time that we were out there. I uh, heard a lot of very interesting speakers at, at the state house rally. Um, it was good to see a lot of a multicultural support, um, a lot of black people, a lot of white people, a lot of brown people, um, young and old. Uh, everybody just there on one accord. It was good. We marched from the state house to the police department, where for the most part, it also stayed pretty nonviolent um, until later. But there are a whole lot of, you know, at this point, theories and like guesses as to why, you know, things turned out the way that they did. Uh, but overall, I do think that the day was a success. Uh, and I was just like very overjoyed to see the turnout that 
you know, we had. So yeah, I agree one hundred percent. I felt super good um, about the turnout. Like there were so many people there, um, and it kind of wasn't even about the number to me, but just the the differences in people that were there. Like you said, a whole bunch of uh, white support, brown support. Um, so that was great to see. Yeah, that's one thing I noticed because I was kind of in the area for a second. I was actually kind of surprised. I was expecting to be like, you know, just a couple of white people, whatever the case may be. But it was actually like a solid amount of them out there. And like y'all said, you end up going from uh, the state house right to end up to the police department, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, but I guess we were out there, though, all the sort of the support of the recently uh, killed George Floyd by the police department. Y'all want to give us some more detail on that? Yeah, so um, kind of to go over uh, what initially started everything. Uh, so George Floyd was accused of using a counterfeit $20 bill, excuse me, to pay for cigarettes. And so the store clerk called the police. And basically one thing led to another. And Floyd ended up being, well, he was restrained by the police. But while he was restrained uh, on the ground, um, and Officer Derek Chauvin, I believe is how you pronounce his name, uh, basically knelt on his neck for nine minutes. Floyd was, you know, saying that he couldn't breathe, he couldn't breathe. And so eventually he ended up dying. Recently, the the coroner's report that was released by CNN uh, claimed that he died of pre-existing causes and may have had other system, other uh, substances in his system, which uh, a lot of people are disputing because, you know, like I just said, he, he was basically being knelt on for 10 minutes or nine minutes, excuse me. And so that sparked a whole bunch of protests in Minnesota, which is where the um, the Floyd uh, murder took place. Also seeing protests in cities like Atlanta, Oakland, uh, Columbia, Columbia, <laughs> Columbia. Uh, basically just a lot of cities around the country. They're probably going to see a few more, you know, as the weekend progresses. The yeah. thing that I think is so crazy about this is that it doesn't even seem like a natural human action to be kneeling on somebody's neck. Like, at what point did that become acceptable? That's clearly not something they teach, I'm sure, in whatever police academies, whatever the case may be. It's like, yo, that, that's not even like a human-like thing to you do to somebody else that you consider like human. Yeah, like you really have to try to do that. And the act of kneeling, especially on someone, that's not even a comfortable position to be in. So like, you really had to put thought behind doing that. And like, he knew what he was doing, obviously. Um, so super sad situation, man. Um, but the support that has been going on and uh, I guess not even fully support, but kind of like the outrage over the event um, that happened, that's been really crazy to see just how widespread and how fastly that whole movement has spread. And I think that is a, uh, a testament to not only like this killing, but the whole country and the whole community being fed up with everything, like from the 60s back on. So all this stuff is just like kind of like piled up and we're like, yo, we're still dealing with this stuff. Like, I feel like everyone's just fed up. That's why it's been such a widespread thing. Yeah, and I think, oh, I'm sorry. No, I was just going to say, and then this thing is gone from not only in the U.S., from, like, different countries and stuff. And we have, like, Denmark and Germany and a lot of different places all showing their support. And I haven't really been watching that much television, but I know the camera crews and stuff have been out there. But from what I understand, like, social media has really has this thing kind of going global now. 
Yeah. And like I said, I don't watch that much like regular WIS news, but I know as, as far as social media, it's like this is what's been really the thing that people have been talking about, uh, protests, whatever case may be, in fact, for the past three to four days. Yeah. Um, and it's crazy that you say that. I was just uh, sending a few DMs back and forth to one of my friends, and uh, she's in the UK. We met like maybe like five years ago, like through Twitter or whatever. Uh, she's a <laughs> Kanye, Kanye fan. I was a huge Kanye fan. I am a huge Kanye fan still. Um, so we got close with that, but she recently just hit me up. Of course, I was like posting stuff on my Instagram story and stuff. And she was reaching um, out to me. It's like, yeah, I hear all the stuff that's like going on. Um, she was saying how here in the UK for her, um, everything's still going on with like the pandemic and everything's still locked down and everything. And that kind of like made me think we kind of just like skated over that. But not to say that this isn't just as important issue. But uh, yeah, definitely reaching global uh, attention. And I think that's a good thing, but it's also crazy to see how fast that happened. I think something else that is definitely like aiding in like how big of a story this is, is one, the fact that obviously the Ahmaud Arbery case, um, that it happened in February, but we didn't find out about it until two months later. Uh, but then also on March 13th, the whole thing with Rihanna Taylor, who was also shot by police, uh, but in Louisville, shot eight times by the police after they did a, they were conducting like a no-knock warrant. Um, and then also her husband's arrest because he fired at the police officers who had just entered their house and shot his wife. Uh, and so just all this sort of stuff going around about, you know, different instances of police brutality or cases in which we're just like white people just taking, you know, the law into their own hands but not facing consequences until basically public outcry makes it impossible to just like have these people just on the streets. People are just fed up and people are tired and uh, they're expressing that in a lot of different ways. Um, and we're just kind of seeing that the aftermath of that just on social media, on the news, uh, especially on CNN. So, Yeah, I brought up the uh, Breonna Taylor uh, situation too. Um, I meant to ask, like, when did a no-knock warrant become a thing? Like, maybe I'm just not educated, but I've never heard of that before. So basically... Uh, you can enter a property without immediate prior notification of the residents, but it's basically under the belief that like whatever I'm looking for, if I think that you're going to destroy it, if you know that I'm going to enter the premises or whatever, then I can do it. Okay. So, yeah. So like if I had like drugs or something, but like if, if I, as a police officer knocked on the door, you could just like flush the drugs down the toilet or whatever. Like yeah. if, I, if I had probable cause to believe that you would do that, then it's okay for me to enter. But then like, obviously there's a huge gray area there as to like whether or not there actually is that probable cause. And that sort of a gray area leads to cases like this. So. That's what I was thinking. As soon as you said, that, I'm like, that leads for a lot of gray area. Because you, at least for a lot of subjective, well, we thought this, that, and third, or we thought this, that, and the third. So I'm surprised that's allowed, but you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's a broken system, so. Definitely a broken system. But I think a lot of people, uh, I think we all discussed this before, a lot of people are looking to see where Umar Johnson has been, because this is the, the guy that usually speaks on topics such as this. Uh, I've been following, checking his Instagram, Twitter page. I haven't really seen anything. By the way, in case you're listening, Umar Johnson is a school psychologist and a principal at the school. And where is that school at? We'll get the information to you. But anyway, so we all kind of went back and looked at some of his older stuff that involves race and things like that because he's really big about being uh, 
uh, almost like a public figure, I guess you could say, for the African-American community. Maybe there's a better word for there. But uh, one of the things that he talks about in the Breakfast Club interview was that he feels that smaller classes make it better learning environments for students to learn. What you guys think about stuff about that? I really like that uh, that stance he took on that. And Umar, very polarizing figure. Um, I think he gets a bad rap because of some of the outlandish things he says now. Um, and you mentioned like that interview was into like 2015. Um, that's when he was really speaking a lot of different facts. Like he was deaf controversial, but he was more so like speaking facts on uh, things going on in our community. But now it seems like it's really just memes and like outrage. And he seems like way off of his rocker, but uh, this point right here about the schools, I 100% agree. Um, and I felt like that was such a uh, a school psychologist thing to say, like about how kids learn better. And of course, a school psychologist would be able to identify that and see that because he's talking with these kids and he kind of like sees the, the issues that they have on a personal level. Um, but I agree. 100%. I think that the more people you have in a class, the harder it is for everyone, every party involved, the teacher, the students, um, even if you have like an assistant teacher in there, like you really can't give a kid one-on-one -on -one attention as much as they might need if you have, if you keep upping the number of kids that's in the classroom. So when you have like these lower classroom um, or lower number of kids in the classroom, it's like, okay, if you have a question, I can spend more time on your question, as opposed to if you're in a class with 30 kids, you're like, okay, I can answer your question, but I really need to get back to this over here. So I think that's a, a very accurate point. Yeah, and one thing that he also says of talking about that is he notes how many people think it's private schools is the way of education, but because he's been a school psychologist, excuse me, he's been able to take a lot of the tests and see that those kids aren't really doing that much better. But yeah, so smaller classes are a thing. And he also hinted at the fact that a lot of times what ends up happening is as a principal, you have to make a decision between applying more of the funds that you have to athletics instead of maybe having a teacher assistant. But I've never really seen too many teachers assistants like in high schools. So I was thinking maybe that's just a middle, middle school or elementary school thing, but I just don't see it quite as much as high schools. It would make sense, but I don't know. What y'all think about that? I think, so it's interesting that you say that uh, because I actually hadn't thought about it, uh, but any high school that I've gone to or just like visited or like the one that I actually attended, uh, we didn't have that many teacher's aides, but we also put like hella money towards our athletics program. So I don't know like if that's like, basically what he's talking about uh, because the principles that we had took that money and diverted it more so to athletics because that generates revenue yeah. um versus you know spending that money on hiring more teachers aides which would have like you know cut down on some of the more disciplinary actions that a lot of students get um i guess written up for uh because you didn't have another adult in the room to like kind of help with like classroom management which also i took teacher cadet in high school and that was one of the things we talked about a lot is because when you're going through the education to become a teacher, you're taught how to teach, but you're never taught classroom management. That's something you learn is like, um, yeah. part of you, like your practicum and like stuff like that, like actually being in the field. Um, and so I think that's very interesting just to see that, you know, principals who actually more than likely haven't been in a classroom themselves in like years, 
would still, you know, take money and just like divert it to, like you said, the athletics program instead of hiring more teachers aides, which would overall really make a principal's job much easier. Yeah. Classroom management topic is underrated for sure. Like it's one thing to be able to like teach people in a active way, but it's another thing to like manage the classroom. And I remember like I've had multiple teachers throughout like high school, definitely just in high school, not really in college, um, but definitely in high school that like lost control of classrooms. Like I remember one of my favorite teachers in high school, like there was just this one time like she could not manage the classroom and she would just go in her office and cry. And I would be like, man, like this sucks, but that's part of the job too. Like no one should make the job hard, but like you're also dealing with like high school kids, like middle school kids. So it's not going to be all roses. So knowing how to manage a classroom is definitely something that you have to know. Um, so if you're not putting resources into that, like you can definitely see how that could be bad for the school overall. When I was sitting there, whenever you said that, Darius, when you said classroom manager, I'm like, wow. One could say that's probably the hardest part of the job because that's a moving, like, not to say kids are variables, but like kids from all these different personalities, all these different backgrounds come in this one classroom and you're supposed to manage them. And, and that can be really difficult because all you need, especially in a bigger class, is a couple of kids to kind of start acting out of character, this, that, for whatever reason, whatever they might be going through, and now you have a problem on your hands. And if that's not taught and as part of, like, like you're in the teacher cadet program, whatever the case may be, it's like, how do you learn that? Because maybe your approach to doing things does not match one or two of those students in the classroom, and now you got a situation on your hand. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so, someone who did it, it's definitely not easy, but, like, you just – and it depends on person to person. Like the thing that I usually do or when I did it was like, all right, I know that this one kid's going to be like a troublemaker or whatever, but like the troublemakers also usually have like a lot of sway over the other kids. Yep. So yeah. if, I, if I can get this one, then I can get the rest of them. <laughs> Have y'all ever heard that program called me, mister? Yeah, I almost did that. Is this specifically for uh, African-American males? Yeah, it is. It seems like we also need, because I typically find a lot of times if you have an African-American male in the classroom, especially at these high schools, there's a lot of African-American guys, boys, whatever you want to say in them, it would help a lot. But due to like, I feel like part of the reason is the pay. And then also because of like the kids, it's kind of hard to find a lot of African-American males in classrooms. I specifically say that a lot of African-American quote unquote teachers are coaches, like at parks and stuff like that. It's like we teach, but in a different way, like sports and stuff like that. But you just don't see it quite as much in the classroom. Yeah, a lot of the uh, African-American teachers, well, there were, there were definitely some that were just teachers, but a lot of the uh, African-American male teachers that uh, were in some of my schools, they were like football coaches. Then they had to like teach something else, like history or math yeah. or something yeah. like that. Um, did have a football coach who was like, a straight up mathematician uh but he was also a great football coach so uh shout out to coach rivers for sure um super <laughs> smart guy uh so yeah i definitely feel like there are ulterior motives behind some of these uh coaches out here 
and they're definitely doing a little disservice to the people that they're teaching. Yeah, we, oh, I can't even say that on here. Yeah, so, but also, <laughs> I was almost going to say something, but uh, Darius, but uh, I know you and a lot of other people sometimes hear this school that he's trying to put together. By the way, that school is in, that's in Delaware, Wilmington, Delaware, but so a lot of people find that the school kind of sounds like a cult. You, I know you had some thoughts about that. Okay, um, <laughs> so to me, when he talks about all the things that go into it, it sounds, to me, I would be one of those people that says it sounds like a cult. Uh, just because of the way that he tries to basically regulate uh, every aspect of the lives of the people who go there. Um, and to give credit where credit is due, I think some of the things that he wants to instill in his students is great. Um, he puts a lot of emphasis on financial education. So I think he said by ninth grade, they know how to do their own taxes. Up I heard that. Uh, like, you know, knowing how to like build their portfolio and stuff like that. I think that's great. Fantastic. Um, but then he's also talking about like, you know, how to grow their own food. Um, and then talking something about like diet management, which again, sounds good, but like, we gets to a point where like, <laughs> you have to understand that you're also still dealing with children. And so like, you know, you got to let them like, you know, you know, eat. Cheez-Its or something. I don't know. Whatever kids like these days. Um, but like, yeah, I just think it's it's just a lot. And but also I get the point that he's coming from with like it being, you know, for the benefit of the community. But at the same time, I just feel like, you know, you're not necessarily raising soldiers, you're raising children. Yeah, <laughs> that is true. I got that feeling of raising soldiers whenever he was kind of like going over what he had planned in in his mind for the school in general and I was like just like you there are a lot of things where I'm like man that sounds great especially the financial literacy part uh I think me being interested in financial literacy I can give a little bit of leeway to some of the other things like you mentioned uh with growing your own food and like having to know all these things but uh it seems like the kids will have no autonomy <laughs> like they yeah. will be on a strict schedule and it reminds me a lot of um boot camp a little bit yep. like you're, yeah he, he said for a minute like yeah they're going to be off in in the middle of nowhere like they have no distractions and all that and i think that might be good like the no distraction thing but like that sounds very boot camp to me yeah it definitely sounds like a military school and it almost sounds like a punishment honestly uh, yeah. also one of his big things that he was on is that a lot of times, because he mentioned the LeBron James school and the Jalen Rose school, and he talked about how those are technically charter schools, I think he said, and I think LeBron James put 25% of the money up, which is plenty of money, and it's still to a great cost, but his whole thing is these are completely independent, so he gets to kind of control every factor of how things are kind of put together and things like that. And like y'all said, it's cool. I love the idea of it, but I just seems like it'd be miserable to attend. I thought it was interesting um, how he said this is the same thing as LeBron's school or Jalen Rose's school. Um, this is completely like independent. And that got me to the point where he was later talking about like HBCUs and celebrities um, backing HBCUs and building up our own schools and stuff like that. And that made a lot of sense to me. I was like, these celebrities out here making like millions and millions of dollars it really wouldn't even take too much um, or too many rather of them to say, oh yeah, let me 
let me back this school over here. Let me build that up. Um, even if I just throw like $25,000 towards it, like, I mean, I'm not like sneezing at that amount, like, but that's a great cause. And all the time, like you see these HBCUs like Benedict or South Carolina State, I'm talking about the local ones like Allen. Um, they're great schools for sure, but they uh, are definitely lacking in some areas where it's like, hey, we could use a little bit of help from our community or from a donor or anything like that. Um, and he brought up how these Ivy League schools, like they yep. have all of these uh, these alumni that come back and throw all this money into them. And it's like, that's what keeps them going. And it's like, well, HBCUs, they definitely have great alumni, but it's like, what are other people doing to build up the school for the whole community yeah it would be like a double like it'd be great on both ends of it a i think he even mentioned i think he says like a write-off or something they do this mm -hmm. not, not not to count their pockets but that is one thing but then also it's like it's building up your community on the back end for people who may not ever be as talented in rapping or whatever financial venture they've been really great at or uh sports whatever yet because he was like adopt the school everybody adopt the school take some money put some money towards it and maybe that would help and build up our community yeah, because I know a lot of them are shutting down. Like, I think it was Bennett, uh, which I believe might be an all-women's HBCU, uh, but, like, was in risk of shutting down just because they didn't have the funds. And so that's something definitely, like, a lot of specifically, like, Black women definitely could have gotten on, like, Oprah or Gail. Uh, since they like to do stuff together, they could have donated. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know. Yeah, he talks about how I think it's Bluefield State is no longer an HBCU. It's an HBCU, but it's predominantly white. And how Howard only 60% black. He talked about that too. And he says the reason a lot of times they have to market, not to say that these other people cannot, uh, these other races can't come to the school, but they have to do a lot of marketing to the uh, different races and stuff just to make sure they can uh, stay up, you know, keep collecting tuition. Yeah. Yeah, but also he did mention the whole thing about African-Americans sticking to our agenda, the African-American experience. What do you all think about that? I felt like that was a, another great point. One of his mm -hmm. better points too. Um, and it made me think like, he, he was asking the question, what is our agenda? And it made me think like, what is our black agenda? Like as a community, like what is the one thing? And it goes back to like the protest today. Uh, what's the one thing that we put all of our effort into or we're all on the same page about? And maybe the black agenda now is like, we need to stop being killed by cops. Um, so maybe that answers the question, but without all of these uh, injustices, like what is the black agenda? Like, is it business? Is it um, social justice? Like, what is it? And it seems like maybe on a grand scale, we don't have one and that might be the cause of some of our problems. Yeah, um, definitely. To that point, I think, uh, like we were talking earlier about um, this upcoming presidential election and how we felt like really neither Biden nor Trump was ideal. Um, I definitely think Black people having our own set political agenda about the things that we want to see, about the policies we want to see enacted, and about um, actual plans to see those things uh, gone about. I definitely think that that's something, you know, I could get behind and that we all could get behind and it's something that's definitely necessary that we've never really had. And I don't think, and yeah, that's kind of something, kind of what he was talking about a little bit. Um, but yeah, definitely think that that's like a larger conversation that we need to have 
but also I just don't know one how to get all black people on board with that what that conversation would look like but I definitely think it's worth um, pursuing yeah it's it's cool that you say uh the political um agenda and me I'm more so on like the the business or the financial empowerment agenda like I feel like that should be the number one priority but I also see how the political agenda should definitely be a priority as well and some could view that as the main priority because I I know y'all heard uh, Mr. Vice President former Vice President Joe Biden saying like if you uh, have a trouble deciding between me and Trump like you're not black well first off like how is a white man going to tell me like what black is? Too comfortable. Way too comfortable. Way, way too comfortable. I heard that, bro. And I was like, dog, are you like trying to lose? Like, are you actively trying to lose? Um, but with that being said, I thought that having a political agenda where it's like us as a whole community is like, okay, these are the things we want. This, 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 this. And if a... Uh, um, potential candidate doesn't check off these boxes like we're not voting for you like as a collective and I feel like that has so much power in it and that is just as if not more effective than all of us banding together with our dollars as well I'm glad you said the plan because he he spoke on this he said this is the question we need to ask politicians that want our vote what is your plan for miseducation mass incarceration gentrification access to wealth and police genocide and he's like and i don't want any promises because i because with promises sometimes those get broken things like that it's like what is y'all plan for those he actually didn't say that in that interview but as soon as you said that i scrolled down my notes i was like okay i remember when he was talking about this and those are like his five main points i'll state them again uh the miseducation mass incarceration gentrification access to wealth and police genocide and that movie i, I watched the movie samuel jackson what was it called the banker banker yeah you watch it, it yeah watch it. it's pretty good uh for anybody who does it i think apple tv is free for six months um, if you get a new device got a new device so i can watch it for the free even if you don't have that <laughs> seven day trial go check it out you know i'm all about the trials but anyway uh <laughs> it spoke a lot about the access to wealth and it really helped i feel like a lot of people understand like okay this is why it's important for banks to uh to have black owned banks whatever the case may be or even other banks just to get us to have the same access to wealth as other people because therefore we can get our small businesses started because a lot of times you need like business loans and things of that nature and a lot of times we're denied that because in his words you can't empower the people that you are kind of trying to push down at the same time not exactly his words but that's kind of how i kind of that's what i kind of got from it facts though and uh, darius you also had an opinion about uh how what umar feels about the african-american woman you want to expand on that Okay. <laughs> so yes. So with his school, when I read his website, the way that he made it seem is he wants one school for just men or young boys, and then he wants another school for uh, women. At this school for women, he believes that all women should be all natural. Uh, so no makeup, no anything in the way of like extensions or like, I'm not sure what it stands on like dying with hair is, uh, but he's probably, I don't know. I'm not going to put words in his mouth. Uh, he didn't want to do extensions though just straight, natural, 24-7, 365. And he wants to do this in, a, in an effort to fight Eurocentric beauty standards. I believe that that goal is all well and good. However, I believe that a man telling a woman what she can and cannot do with their hair is very counterintuitive. 
that, but like, like we just said with whole, the whole, you know, idea that he has for his boys school, like there's no sense of autonomy. And how can you raise an end of, a person who is independent in their thinking, but then control everything that they take in, you know? Yeah. Like if the goal is independence, you shouldn't have to submit yourself to basically an oppressive way of thinking in order to become more mentally independent. Yeah. I don't think group freedom is found in individual, individual suppression. So. That's a hot take. That's a good point. That's a very, that's a very good way of putting it. When I first heard it, I was like, you can't, there's no way possible you, and it almost sounds like a very controlling environment. You cannot control every aspect of that to the point where I'm going to tell you how you're going to do hair. It's like, nah, that's not going to work. And I'm pretty sure that's, that would probably turn a lot of people away from it. Cause it's like, okay, he's telling us all this going into it. I cannot only imagine what happens when I do this. What does he do then? Does he cut my hair? Like what is, what's the punishment here for me going to this school? And I'm paying tuition for it on top of that, which is why I always say, it seems like a military school. Like you're getting a lot of trouble. We're sending you here. And it's like for punishment. Yeah even thinking about the history of black women and their hair like it's one of the well actually i was going to say it's one of the few things that they've generally had control over but like even then they didn't because like you know specifically around like the new orleans area uh, a lot of slave masters wives like thought that um you know if, if black women were to show their hair that would make them more sexually appealing to like their masters so they would have to wear stuff like head wraps and head scarves and like that's where like a lot of women started wearing it then um and then that's kind of come back into i guess popular fashion now really with the whole natural hair movement which i i just think is weird for a man to just you know try to police what a woman is doing i feel like that's women's business and men just have other things to worry about so that's just me didn't that building <laughs> in new york if i'm not mistaken uh yeah the um, hair discrimination yeah, yeah. So that's ironic. That's kind of come back up here where it's like you can't discriminate. And it's like now we're going to control you from what you're going to do with your hair. That's, that that would like specifically with African-American women, no offense to, no offense to African-American women, it's like that's not going to work. That That is that. That's a huge red flag right off the bat. I feel like if you have some women on his the board of the school, that they'd be like, yeah, like this sounds like a very masculine based way of thinking, you yeah. know, kind of just head first. I feel like if you have some women on the board, they'll be like, nah. Yeah, 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 but no, we're not, we're not having with that. That's why it's probably important to have different sexes on the, yeah. on your boards. He's definitely doing. Uh, I feel like himself and his school a disservice if he doesn't have a woman on the board specifically. I mean, and it makes sense a black woman too. You you need the black woman just to get everything everything going, bro. Um, but yeah, if he doesn't have that, he's really doing himself a disservice. I feel like. Dr. Umar is running the school like Tyler Perry runs his movie studios. Oh, <laughs> <I'll take. laughs> he he controls every aspect of what's going on. Yeah, how many acres is that studio? It's like four hundred some acres or something like that. It's huge. It's huge. It's and huge. the crazy thing is, it didn't it used to be like on slave grounds. A Confederate army base, I think. A Confederate army base. So that's dope. So now he's turned that into that. But yeah, Tyler Perry has full creative control. Yeah, hey, we love to see. Um, the financial empowerment for sure and taking control in business and that's why I feel like um, that's a, the utmost priority in our community um, being able to say no 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 like I, I got my own like I have a seat at the table because I have the economic power 
to demand a seat at the table. Um, so definitely feel like Tyler Perry did that. And he definitely pulled a little checkmate move uh, with acquiring that land and the history that has that land. And now it's owned by like a black owned millionaire, you know, but that also made me think about how Byron Allen was also talking about the importance of representation in the media and controlling our own narratives of what we see. And the example that he used was with his daughters and how he was saying how someone else is controlling how they see themselves. So until we have control of how our youth see themselves, then we will always be at a disadvantage to the situation. Yeah, because Byron Allen and Kex just recently uh, bought the Weather Channel. I think it was like maybe like two or three years ago. Yeah. Um, but he has multiple different um, news stations. I think he said he has 10. Um, businessman, entrepreneur, former comedian. I did not know that. Um, I might have to go back and look at some of his specials or stand-ups. I don't even know. But uh, very interesting guy. Multi-multi-millionaire. Um, definitely has some clout in the media game so him having such a strong stance on owning the other side of media is something that I feel like is super important in our community you would never guess strictly from looking at him all that he's been through and he's talking about his story I think his mom had him at a, at a very young age and then 16 how, she said yeah and then it's like all the hardships like he almost got taken from her and stuff like that but it seems like he was very well versed to end up in the space owning media companies seems being that he understands how it works because he was literally part of it for a little while yeah i thought that was super interesting hearing about um how his mom worked at nbc as a tour guide and when she was doing that they couldn't afford like daycare so he would just like basically just chill around like nbc studios and just like watch all these different shows and kind of get like a front row seat to see like literal legends like doing what they do or like even people who weren't quite legends yet like watch them kind of you know uh as the at their like humble beginnings like you know pat sajak or whatever it was like a weatherman but then now everybody knows him for like wheel of fortune so seeing people like that and like obviously that those sorts of things like stick with you so yeah whenever he said richard pryor i was like man imagine just sitting there as like a youth like listening to prime richard pryor like that's gotta have a big effect on you even richard pryor like super rated informator rated r because i i never heard it but every single time i used to watch everybody hates chris they used to be like whenever richard pryor goes on all the kids go upstairs yeah <laughs> yeah they did say that in everybody hates chris but yeah uh very rated m <laughs> uh, but also I one of definitely one of the greatest comedians of all time I'll say he is the greatest comedian of all time or at least my favorite he is just he's something else bro uh, if you haven't listened to him definitely check out YouTube definitely check out some of his specials he is hilarious bro I will sit and die at this man just telling jokes and doing his own thing so check him out bro was Richard Pryor and Dick Gregory, were they around the time, same time frame, or was one much earlier than the other one? Do y'all know? I really much know. earlier. Much earlier? In I really my, don't my, know. In my head, I kind of put Dick Gregory as more 60s, Richard Pryor as more 70s. Okay, that makes sense. Um, because I didn't even know that Dick Gregory was a, a comedian until recently, so you definitely know more than me there. 
Okay, but on the interview, Byron Allen did introduce the four Ds of what they typically do to the uh, African-American male, uh, especially like when you're a public figure having a lot of success. Once they're trying to get rid of you, he talked about dismissing them, discrediting them, demonizing them. I guess I could say us because we're black men and destroying. Uh, Josh, I, I remember you You definitely had something to say about this. What, what you thought yeah, about Yeah, I, I thought he just broke that down so well because you see – you physically see how that progression starts and not even just with black men, but like anything that is kind of like against the mainstream, like, for example, use the uh, like protests slash now riots going on with this uh, George Floyd thing. Like they start off like dismissing or not fully acknowledging what's going on then as things escalate they're like oh man like oh this isn't happening or it's not even that bad then like it escalates to another level then you're like oh man look at all these looters we're demonizing them and then you see like the police enforcement come in and like destroy so that's an example for like today's time but like you do see that on so many different levels with different topics different groups different subjects and it's like man the way he broke that down i was like that makes so much sense because you see it on the daily i feel like see a lot of times i hear like guys like him come out and spit those out real quick i'm like did he prepare for this or was this just something he had in the back of his head this is like and those are all like really good words in there they hit almost each topic like almost like like a quick summary so yeah, I, I thought, and then the, the the inevitable destroying of them is like you hate to see it because you see it happens so many times. It's like dog, and it's, and then you look back at it, you know, hindsight's usually twenty twenty. It's like, dang, that seems like that was the agenda all along. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because you all, you just look at what the thing that gets me, and especially with it being like the cancel culture that we have today, especially on like Twitter, it's always the timing that just seems interesting to me. Uh. Cause like, honestly, like people will cancel people for like, you know, saying the N word or whatever, or like making some other like incendiary comments or whatever. But it's always when like the person is, you know, hosting some award show or like doing, taking like another level in their like career. It's never like when it happened. Yeah. Like, yeah. These people have been famous for like 25 years, you know, longer than that, but you're just now choosing to say they're like, oh, like this person, you know, did whatever back in like 2005. Yeah, yeah. Like, like you held on to this information. Like, exactly. Like prime example would be like the Kevin Hart situation. I don't know if y'all that's know. Exactly like, what I was thinking. Yeah. yeah, the backstory behind that. But like, I love how he has been recently. Like, yeah, he apologized for everything. He's like, man, like I really grown over the years and everything. And of course, some of the things that he said, like about the gay community, or um, I think he said the R word. Don't want to say it on here. Um, <laughs> but I feel like. I love his stance now where it's like, no, like you guys aren't going to bully me. Like y'all aren't going to keep coming back and saying, no, 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 you brought this up. Like I already apologized for it. I already said how I've grown and everything. It's in the past. So I'm leaving it in the past. Y'all can bring it up, but I'm not talking about it anymore. So I'm like, that's probably the best way to counter cancel culture because I am a huge proponent of canceling cancel culture because I just feel like, it's overblown and overused by people on social media. Like if it's used for guys like Harvey Weinstein, Jeffrey Epstein, um, anyone else that does these like insidious crimes, yeah, cancel them. But you're canceling people because they said something in 
10th grade, like when social media just came out, never knowing that 10 years from now, like this is going to be a huge thing where you judge people off of. So yeah, big proponent of cancel, cancel culture, big um, fan of Kevin Hart. I rock with him. Yeah. And then like, I think you kind of hinted on this. It's like you give, I think it's maybe, as a matter of fact, J. Cole said it. So you got to give people some chance, time to grow. It's like, mm-hmm. good guy. It's been like 10, 15 years for these people. Like you have evolved tre- tremendously. And yeah. then there's always the thing of like, what if we pulled every comment that you said from 10, 15 years ago? It's like, I'm sure the conversation would be different. Like you grow, yeah. you learn. And that's kind of a part of life. But a lot of people don't like Kevin Hart. I, I'm a huge fan of Kevin Hart, but a lot of people are like, he's not funny. And I also kind of sometimes wonder is that just because now he's like a big, like now he's this huge guy. It's kind of like, Okay, he's not even that funny. You know how people love to kind of do yeah. that. What do y'all think? Y'all yeah. like so, so I would say, I just said that I'm a huge fan of Kevin Hart. I'm a huge fan of Kevin Hart, the person. He's big on, like, positivity, <laughs> self-improvement, like, wellness and all this stuff. Kevin Hart, the comedian, he's funny, but uh, he definitely gets into the corny square. <laughs> uh, sometimes, like, some of the stuff he says is, like, funny, but he – I label him more so as like the stupid funny, like, oh man, that was a crazy thing that happened. Like how he's saying it is funny. Uh, whereas like my guy, Richard Pryor, like he's just a funny, funny dude yeah. like, with the things that he says, the stories that he tells and stuff. So uh, I do love Kevin Hart, but I'm not the biggest fan of like his style of comedy, if that makes any sense. Oh, that makes sense. For me, um, I like his older stuff. A lot, well, his older stand-up stuff a lot more, like uh, seriously funny, uh, laugh in my pain, like that sort of stuff. His latest stuff has just not really done it for me. Like I, there have been like one or two funny jokes in each one, but like definitely nothing compared to his older stuff. His movies. Okay, full disclosure, I I'm a very corny individual. I know that about myself, and I just accept no, that at no. this point. So, okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, so like his style of comedy, it works for me. And I like, I acknowledge the fact that like not everyone else just like laughs at corny stuff like that. But like Jumanji, loved it. Uh, so that's just me. I, I'm a fan of his stuff, most definitely. That's ironic. I actually couldn't stand it. I, I did not like Jumanji. I did not like it. <laughs> I actually like his music. I mean, not his, movie, his music. I actually like his comedy. I don't like any of the movies for the most part. Uh, I think I saw 35 and Ticket not too long ago. That, that seemed to be straight, but it, I'm just not a fan. But he is definitely kind of in that whole, was it Mogul? He's definitely in that whole conversation mm-hmm. with a lot of stuff that he has going on. Y'all seen this documentary on Netflix? It's on my list. I haven't seen it yet, though. Yeah, it's on my list as well, too. Very good, very good. But yeah, he's definitely doing a lot. And even one of his big things, I know Josh will like this, is he's partnering with these banks to try to help people understand financial um, financial literacy. And he yeah. even told one of the guys, I think it's like a white board of directors or something, he's like, you could tell them that, but they're not going to get it unless it comes from me because I've been the guy just like how a lot of other people do opening different uh, direct TV accounts and canceling them and running up the credit cards. He's like, if some, somebody who looks like them and who's done it, they'll receive it a lot better. So yeah, I'm definitely a big fan of all those things he is going on. And apparently he's really good friends with my guy, Nick Cannon. Learned that through one of the interviews. Y'all know I'm a huge Nick Cannon proponent. And Nick Cannon really showed off whenever he was in, where, where was he just in Minneapolis? Is it Minneapolis? Yeah, I think he was, yeah, right at ground zero of everything. Yes, and I was like, see, that's why he's my guy. That is my guy, Nick Cannon. Nick, shout out Nick Cannon. 
Uh, for some yeah. reason, I want to say drop on a cruise, but I'll be like, this is not the Breakfast Club. <laughs> <laughs> um, yo, it was, it's funny because before you were saying about uh, Kevin Hart being like a little mogul with everything, and I was like thinking in my head, I really rock with guys and women that are like that now, like that don't get marginalized into these little, oh, I'm just a comedian or Nick Cannon. Like he, he's been an OG with that. Uh, like I'm just comedian or I'm just a comedian slash entertainer slash actor. Like this whole, it seems like a new wave, but I have a theory in my mind. This isn't a new wave. It's we're just kind of becoming more aware of it that these entertainers or celebrities or athletes doing more and more um business things i really like that wave of things going on and before you even said canon i was like yo he perfectly embodies that whole mogul thing where it's like no i'm not just doing this i'm doing this over here i'm doing this i go to these rallies i'm using my voice in the uh appropriate way to bring about change like i'm investing i'm building this and doing just so many different things i really like uh that wave that has been going on and maybe it's just the awareness of the wave going on but i'm all here for it 100 percent. also but one thing that byron talked about in the breakfast club interviews was that black people african-americans were brought here to create wealth and not build wealth uh josh you want to explain that a little bit more so i thought that was interesting because I do think that is true. Like we're at a position where it's like, we have kind of already accomplished the goal of what we were brought here for. And that was to, of course, build up the United States. So it's like, I wonder what the people that were bringing slaves over, enslaved people um, over, like what their end goal was, like once you got things built, like you can tell there wasn't, too too much planning with that where it's like okay what are we going to do with these people um so i do think that is true that we have ran our course we weren't built here to build wealth we were built here to create a platform for wealth so that other people can capitalize on that so now that we're in this position of just being here and really not having anywhere else to go like they can't send us back anywhere we are stuck in this situation where it's like okay we're in a system that doesn't benefit us but we can't really go anywhere else too so it's just kind of like we're in a little limbo this is where umar speaks of the police genocide this is where he, this is where that comes in with him he's like okay well now that we've gotten them they're here and we can't send and he also speaks a lot about this we can't send them back we can't send african-americans back because with these other races you can send them back but it's like african-americans we're here to stay so it's like, well, how are we going to get rid of them now? I would hate to believe that there are people sitting around a room kind of like thinking like this, okay, how are we going to get rid of them? But I, I'm just, after some of the stuff I've been seeing, I'm not convinced either way. It's just like, you just got to Abraham Lincoln did it. What'd you say? Abraham Lincoln did it. Like, he actually, so people love to, like, portray him as this great, like, humanitarian to free the slaves. Honestly. He was just such a, yeah, <laughs> such a great person, loved Black people not the case uh he he said if he could have ended the war without freeing the slaves he would have done it uh and he actually heavily considered the idea of sending us back to africa or to some other part of the world uh as opposed to giving us like freedoms in america so, so yeah it's definitely it, these conversations have happened 
That is crazy to believe. And it's crazy, too, because the school system, and this is where the whole thing about miseducation, they'll have us sitting here believing that Abraham Lincoln wanted to free the slaves because he felt like that was wrong. And it's like, y'all don't even understand. That was the farthest thing from it. This was a business decision. Bro, that's a fact, man. The, the education system will have you thinking that these guys are just the most noble guys. I know y'all remember, like, it seemed like George Washington was God, pretty much. Like, you oh. know, he just did all this stuff. Like, He's the best guy. He founded this country. He had wooden teeth, like all this different stuff that is just like, where's the actual story from? Like, what's going on? And then you go to Mount, y'all ever been to Mount Vernon? No. Definitely I not. think I have. Hmm. Pretty sure Mount Vernon is wherever he, um, or like he had like a slave, where he lived, had a slave headquarters and stuff like that. And I went there and they're like, oh yeah, there was a slave headquarters. I'm like, wait a minute, this is not the dream that they sold me of who George Washington yeah. is. So yeah, a quick reality check. Thanks. But uh, so Josh, what did you think? Byron Allen spoke of the people of color versus black people. And I keep doing this in this thing in the podcast too. So tell us the difference. Yeah, so I felt like this is a conversation that is well overdue and people have this conversation all the time. Maybe it's just like not in the mainstream because you see it all the time, like, especially on news. Um, they'll say this fight that people of color have been fighting. And of course there are many, many fights out there. And a lot of them have to do with people of color as a consensus, but there are certain fights that it's like not, entirely the whole demographic of demographic of people of color um and it's just black people so he was talking about like the difference between black people and the people of color and he used the example of uh lending banks lending um and giving loans out to people of color and it's like if you use that statistic it might be one way or it might look like you're doing so much, but he broke it down saying, okay, well, how much are you lending to black people? And the numbers were substantially different and they weren't able to hide under the guise of people of color because he did mention that now people of color and he used uh, minorities instead. He said, minorities are also uh, white women. They are starting to become gay men and lumping all of those people in together does an extreme disservice to especially black people where it's like we deal with certain things that other members of the people of color or minority um, group don't really deal with and it's just really our our fight no i agree that that definitely does now that you break that down that's a dangerous umbrella because it's like yes we are we are giving loans to people of color but it's like but not black people yeah, yeah, that that actually makes a lot of sense. Uh, I don't know if y'all heard it in the interview, but Alan's supposed to be coming out with a movie here shortly, hopefully shortly. Uh, Darius, you want to tell us a little more about it? Yeah, um, so I believe it was called Orders to Kill. Yeah. Um, and so it's basically the story surrounding uh, the death of Martin Luther King Jr., uh, his assassination, because a lot of people believe that, you know, he was killed because, you know, he was fighting for racial equality, racial justice, this whole sort of thing. Uh, but Coretta, um, who was actually uh, had a very close relationship with Byron Allen, he actually she actually gave him the rights to the story to make this movie. They actually filed a civil suit against uh, several government agencies as well as a 
a Memphis cafe owner who claimed that uh, James, someone other than James O'Reilly had been uh, hired to assassinate Dr. King. And so she ended up winning that uh, civil suit actually, which actually held, you know, the, like I said, government agencies responsible for the assassination of Martin Luther King. Um, and she argues that he was murdered not for his I have a dream speech, but for his um, speech where he talks about there being basically two Americas. Yeah, um, the other America. Yeah, the other America. Um, and so basically it's where I believe he talks about there's two people at a restaurant, uh, but they can't even afford the same hamburger. And so he's basically fighting for equality along a more financial lines and is, you know, advocating for more economic justice as opposed to necessarily racial justice specifically. And it is at that point that, you know, the government did decide that he was, you know, too dangerous to keep alive. And then they sent out the orders to kill, which is where the movie derives his name. So I'm really looking forward to when that movie comes out. Seems like it'll really clean up a lot of the different rumors or whatnot. I have because a lot of people think I think Josh talked about this earlier. A lot of people think it's a conspiracy theory. And a lot of people don't know that she actually won like civil suits or whatever the case may be. So I'm definitely looking forward to when that movie comes out. It's been a little while since he's gotten started on that project. I'm now obviously this lawsuit that he has going on probably is taking I know he said it's like cost him millions of dollars. He he stopped counting. I was like, yo, you know this man got money when he stops counting how much how much a lawsuit is like just yeah. millions. He just kinda go on he just kinda goes on about it. But yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to when this movie comes out. Yeah, I'm excited to see uh, Dr. King in a different light than he's normally portrayed in, uh, just because I think we a lot of times get this very whitewashed version of him, like, oh, he was just going to, like, lunch counters and sitting down and just, like, getting his head beat in and just doing it again tomorrow. But, like, no, nah, he was really about that, that action in a lot of different ways. Uh, and he also just wasn't, like, you know, this, I, I kind of already said it, this very passive person people made him out to be. Um, he definitely had a lot of very radical ideas. He wouldn't necessarily have approved or like planned a riot, but he also was very clear in his understandings of why people would riot uh, and things along those lines. But, you know, because the American education system whitewashed him so much and then demonized, you know, the uh, leaders we've had like Malcolm X, uh, you know, people just constantly hold these false views of like who these people were and what they stood for. That, that is interesting. It's honestly kind of funny. It's not funny. It's very disrespectful to their legacies. But I find it uh, kind of funny just how whitewashed these things and these people are in these different stories that we get about them and the lack of stories that we get about some of, uh, well, pretty much all of the people that are being whitewashed. Like I was just talking with my brother about how it seems like in history, being taught like through the education system, they're like, okay, Martin Luther King was the good guy, Malcolm X was the bad guy, and they were like going against each other. Yeah. And that's kind of like been the consensus. Um, like, bro, if you can ask like a high schooler today, like tell me something about Malcolm X. They're like, oh yeah, he was the radical guy. He was against, or he was for like violence and he wanted to make change by any means necessary, but they won't say any of the things that he was doing with like peaceful stuff or like building up our black community and stuff like that. And that's, I feel like it's very strategic that it's like that. Um, but yeah, it's definitely doing a disservice to the, both of their legacies. 
I would say before, I would give me maybe two years ago, I had no idea who Malcolm X was. And then, well, I, didn't, I knew who he was, but he was definitely demonized. It was like, yeah, that's that guy. That he always wants to fight. See, Martin Luther King wants peaceful protests. Uh, Malcolm X, well, he's, with, he's with all of that. And then, the, obviously, as I started reading, reading his autobiography, it's like, oh, this is not what he... It, I'm not going to say this is not what he's about, but there's a lot of other things about him. And you also just don't learn as much about him at all in the school yeah. system. Um, yeah. so I guess you learn a lot about um, Malcolm. No, you learn a lot about uh, Martin, but not very much about Malcolm. Uh, and I meant to ask y'all so, did y'all ever watch a film called Our Friend Martin? Oh my god, that <laughs> yeah. oh, it was great, Jesus. number one. But I remember that, like, I, I feel like I still have the VHS and I got it from um, it, it's like his home in Atlanta, like, they yeah, had, like, we had the magic watch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that, bro. But that that movie, I never got a, uh, I never got a movie called Our Friend Malcolm. Like, where where was that? Never at? did. <laughs> I've That's never funny did. that you you know about that though. I used to talk to my other friends about the movie, and no one could remember it. Like, I thought I was going crazy until you brought it. <laughs> like, yes, someone else has seen it. Facts. Have you seen it, Matt? No, I've never heard of it. I got to check it out though. It's, it's basically just like his story, like. Granted, it's the whitewash version, um, but it's like animated. It's kind of like in a. Y'all remember the show? Um, and I keep saying y'all remember, but y'all remember the show like uh, Static Shock. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, it reminded me of that show. Like it portrayed him kind of like a a little superhero in it in a sense, but a uh, great little movie. I remember it like I don't know why I remember it so vividly, and I remember the little gift store that I bought it in in Atlanta. But uh, yeah, that definitely brings back some memories of our friend Martin. And y'all think that the reason that they uh, that they talk more about Martin Luther and, and how great of a person, whatever case that he was, is because I think Martin was easier to whitewash uh, than Malcolm. I think you can't not teach anything about Black culture because that you know, raises red flags, but if I can just distort it enough to where my agenda still gets met, where I don't necessarily want people to react to injustice in a way that really upsets the system, as Malcolm would have suggested, uh, or really in a way that Martin would have suggested either. Um, I'm just going to present them with this watered-down version of Martin and not tell them anything about Malcolm in hopes that, like, that will be the end goal. That makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. I agree with that too. And I was about to say the same thing about how it would be easier to whitewash whatever it is that like Martin's ideals were. And also it would kind of make black Americans fall in line with this ideology that, oh man, you should just take all these different things. You should just let things happen go the long way like always uh if you get slapped turn the other cheek yep whereas other people like martin like malcolm both said okay you can only do that for so long yeah that makes mm-hmm. a lot of sense it's kind of like fall in line stay in order don't don't yeah. fight back no that's not what we want to teach stay in line everything will be well and things will eventually change but as we know most things i always say people don't change just for that of it. people change for a reason yeah, I was meaning to ask y'all. So what do y'all think? And maybe this is a question for Darius. What do y'all think, um, since we're on the topic of 
Martin and Malcolm, what do y'all think they would say about the protests today or some of the protests going on at this time all around the nation? Malcolm, I think this would probably be one of the happiest days of his life. Mans <laughs> uh, <laughs> would be rejoicing for real. Finally. Uh, <laughs> uh, Martin, I mean, he, him, and I'm butchering this quote, uh, a riot is basically the language of the oppressed. Uh, so I don't think he would be happy, but I think he would understand. And I think he would ultimately support the people who were protesting in this way, but he definitely would be like, sad that it had to come to this, I would say. Yeah, I think he would probably want to meet with the people, uh, the leaders and be like, all right, let's make sure we maintain what direction we're trying to move into. Uh, so therefore, like we don't, so therefore we're always staying focused on where we're trying to go because they say that's the most important thing, knowing where you're heading towards. Yeah, I think so too. And I think both would be super proud of uh, the level of organization that we have displayed, like coming together as like a community. Um, but I also think that there would, there were some things that they would not like and they would be like, hmm, that's not really what we envision like with the well maybe for Malcolm um like with the police cars that were set on fire like I don't know about all that um but I definitely don't think either of them would like the looting going on maybe not looting in general but the looting of black businesses and tearing down black yeah. businesses because that's one of the hallmarks of the potential growth that we have and that just doesn't make sense to me you're tearing down businesses of people in your community that are just as outraged about these things as you are, but instead you're going to tear down their business and they have something else to worry about too. So yeah. I would never be on that wave of uh, looting people in your community. Yeah, I agree hundred percent because now, like you said, now they have something else to worry about already with this whole pandemic, you've lost a lot of money. Now you have to worry about rebuilding the store as, and then whenever everything gets back running, building that clientele back up. So that is super disappointing, but uh, I, I, I don't know. Still a lot of change to go on, but we definitely are making progress. Um, Adarius, I don't know if you felt it, but it definitely felt like a movement was happening and yeah. it might've been different. Like in, was that 2016 when, um, the Black Lives Matter thing, like, first, like, really started? Michael Brown was around 2014, I would 14, say. Yeah. Well, actually, mm, did it start with Trayvon? I think it started with Trayvon. I which think my, and that was 12, right? I was around 13, so that sounds about right. Yeah. 11, 11 or 12, somewhere like that. Yeah, yeah. So, I feel like the start of that whole movement, like, this might be the second wave, mm -hmm. and I don't mean to allude to Corona, but uh, this might be the second wave of that whole movement. But it definitely felt like we are a little bit more organized, and it seems like we're on the same page with this. So that was definitely a good feeling to be a part of. It felt like I was a part of something today. So I hope that part of it continues, but leave all of the other pointless stuff um, like rioting, looting, looting, and I know we didn't have like any looting going on here, but I feel like we can leave that and still progress towards where we want to go. And then also to say uh, with that is like, and also we're getting other people seem like are getting tired of 
watching it just as much as African Americans are, and so therefore it's like now you're starting to see more uh, different groups of races or whatever case may be kind of joining in too and uh, supporting the movement. Yeah, that's facts. So that's all I got. <laughs> you guys got anything else? Oh man, that's it. Thank you guys for listening to the first inaugural episode of Dominate the Decade podcast. Uh, Looking forward to dropping some more with y'all.